Thank you, Father, for, uh, for Nick and for the way that he has given his life to your service. We pray special blessings upon him that you would give him double everything that he has sacrificed for you. We pray that we would hear your words through Nick this morning. Amen. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Isn't it? Just fabulous. Well, good morning, team. It's just, see, I'm moving it back to the right place. Um, <coughs> Well, it should be. It's just great to see you. It's just lovely to have Graham and Helen with us. Uh, just very, very beautiful, special people. Um, didn't recognise Helen because she hadn't got a possum in her pocket. Uh, <laughs> quite often she used to come with a possum. It was just fabulous. Um, and uh, uh, great to have Catch and Mark back from America, from the adventures there and Good to have my wife back from Canberra. <coughs> you're never really sure you're going to come back when you go to Canberra. <coughs> it's the most extraordinary. I've never known so much political correctness in one place. It's terrifying. Um, as I look over it across to you, my dear friends, I'm conscious that um, God has entrusted something very, very beautiful to you, really. He's not many of you are, are very religious, which is the reason why I get on with you so well. Uh, and, and somehow or other, you know, God has, has rescued us from meaninglessness as we exist as a tiny blip in, in a universe, the observable size of the universe, 93 billion light years across. Um, and then he says... And, 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 we're, and we're lost in this vast, vast universe, thinking, what? who on earth are we and why are we? Uh, and we invent all sorts of religions and philosophies to try and make sense of it, but in the end, it's, it's pretty meaningless. And, and our gods are so different that they're irreconcilable. <laughs> they just point to this incredible ache in humankind to, to discover who they are. And then God, when God can bear it no longer, he, he decides to come to town and says, this is what I'm like. And, um, and I want to rescue you back to myself. It's an incredible act of grace. And I love God's character and I love, I love what he does through his people. And that he choose ordinary, very ordinary people like you and me. I think it's just the most extraordinary, beautiful miracle. And one of the extraordinary things that God declares is he says, you actually are a receptacle for my Holy Spirit. My, my empowering presence can dwell in you, which makes you pretty special. So let me read uh, f to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And just dwell on this. It, it hit me pretty powerfully about two weeks ago when I began to think about this message. And this is what it says. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the very scary, super spiritual church in Corinth who have gone a bit crazy and he just needs to straighten them out. And he says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Uh, therefore, honour God with your bodies. And so Paul is saying, look, Jesus actually died on a cross for you to, to, 
to pay the price for your sins that would otherwise separate you from a holy God, that doesn't make you, that is something that makes you incredibly precious. Um, and please don't forget that. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And, and I don't know about you, but the thought of, of the Spirit of God being in me is something that blows my mind. It, it's something that is, it is really hard to, to get a hold of. And if this isn't enough, uh, the Bible also declares that we are made in God's image. Uh, let me read from Genesis 1:27. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So in, in a very real sense, we are God's image bearers. We are moral beings like God. We have some authority uh, that God gives us as his under-shepherds to look after his environment. Uh, so we share the authority of God. We, we share the m- morality of God and, and the sort of the spiritual at-oneness uh, we have with God. And this understanding, I guess, leaves me with two feelings. The first is an incredible sense of, of humility that comes from it's all about God, it's not about me. You know, it's, it's what God's initiative. And the second is a sense of nobility, um, the fact that we carry the identity and the character of a Heavenly Father. And um, not everybody knows that, you know. Mary's, Mary's passion and heart for the Rohingya people. Uh, you know, beautiful people that God has made. Uh, just, just, but people who are hoping to earn the right to be with their God and have not yet heard the good message that Jesus has won them that right on the cross. There's a massive consequence to understanding that God's Holy Spirit is in you. So I want to talk to you about Richard Magnus. Um, now Richard Magnus was the ch- chief judge of Singapore and I met him a couple of weeks ago at a prayer breakfast at Tea Tree Gully and he gave an inspirational talk there and he was responsible for transforming the judicial system of Singapore. Quite a remarkable man. Do you know Singapore once had a 10-year waiting list, a waiting um, time f- for justice. So if you wanted a divorce, sorry, you couldn't do it for 10 years. <laughs> you had to live with your grumpy husband or w- wife or whatever it was for another 10 years. It was totally dysfunctional, absolutely dysfunctional. And so they got this guy, Richard, and he, Richard is, has, uh, is, is, has an Indian sort of cultural heritage and uh, which make up a fairly significant percentage of people in, in Singapore. And uh, within six months, he'd cleared a 10-year backlog. How about that? Within six months. He's one of the most beautiful, powerful, plugged-in Christians that I've ever met. Uh, the, the recidivism rate, the rate of reoffending of um, prisoners in Singapore, well, in Australia, it's, it's between 50 and 60% which is not great, is it? <laughs> it's not fantastic. Over half of the guys in prison reoffend, and that breaks my heart, actually. Do you know what it is in Singapore? 1%. 1%. The 
The big difference? Christians are allowed to work in the prisons in Singapore. Christians are, are openly allowed to work in the prisons in Singapore. And uh, uh, <laughs> Richard tells a story of him visiting Changi Prison. It's a medium security prison. Uh, and the people there are serving on average a seven-year sentence. And he's put many of them there, you see. And so the chaplain of the Changi prison rings him up and says, um, come to Changi prison. And he says, no, because if I go to Changi prison, I'll cause a riot. And, um, and that wouldn't be a good thing. Anyway, the chaplain prevails and he turns up to Changi prison. <laughs> and his worst fears are confirmed because the prisoners are all sitting in front of him. Over a hundred of them, and they're sitting on metal chairs, which make fabulous weapons. <coughs> and as he starts to speak, uh, he's praying like crazy. Uh, a prisoner rushes to the front, and the, the guards tackle him to the ground. And the prisoner protests and says, "No, no, no! I just want to come forward and get bless, get a, get a blessing from Mr. Magnus." Really? <laughs> guards come ahead, tail of this, and so. Um, Richard plays a blessing on this guy and he's bang he, he's completely slain by the spirit he's just, he just falls over backwards and um, you know, God just says uh, it, it just, just says time out for you mate while you sort yourself out with me bang he's on the floor well that's pretty dramatic so the rest of the prisoners they all get up and they come down the front <laughs> and it's looking like a battlefield but there's not, not, not a touch of violence and Richard thought, gee, that's pretty cool. God turned up and, and has done some extraordinary things in the lives of, of these prisoners. And I was, the only thing I brought, the only thing I contributed was, um, was being scared and praying a bit. <laughs> so be encouraged, all right? <laughs> when he's walking through the, the youth section of the medium sec security prison, um, with the chaplain, really glad he's heading towards his car. And then God kind of whispers to his conscience and he says, you see that, that young man over there? Wash his feet. And, and Richard says, no. I'm the chief judge of Singapore and chief judges don't do things like that. And so we had this internal conflict. And so in the end, he just turned with some frustration to the chaplain beside him and says I think God's telling me to wash that guy's feet and the chaplain he's a lovely guy said I think you better do it <laughs> <laughs> well he organizes for a bowl of water and he, he washes the feet of this this young man who's amazed bewildered and humbled actually and um, and then 200 and 39 other inmates queue up waiting to have their feet washed as well. <laughs> he was there, he washed every single one. Now those guys will never ever forget the day of the Lord, the Chief Justice, the Chief Justice of Singapore washed, washed their feet. And so what Richard says uh, there were 150 prisoners, I just remembered, uh, actually, in, in that hall when the guy 
rush to the front. What Richard says, he says, guys, if the Spirit of God is in you, be agents of change, agents of hope, agents of, agents of grace, agents of truth. And he talks about becoming the chief architect of transformation, the chief architect for transformation. And the interesting word he uses, become the chief agent for transformation in your transactional environment. I thought transactional environment, what the heck's that? So let me tell you, transactional environment is just simply um, the environment in which you influence people, you have contact with people, you know, at work, at home, school, wherever. That's your transactional environment. He says, look, um, if God can use me, and I'm not very special at all, to do these extraordinary things, what's he going to do through you? What, what? My, my area is the legal system. What's your area? Uh, and you, wh when God looks at the historical weirdness happening in our time in history, uh, God's solution was to cause you to exist in it to make a difference and to carry his truth and his grace. And so he says, well, look, Will you be the chief architect for transformation in your transactional environment? Leave an influence on your family's future history. Leave an, an influence on your, on your cousins, uh, nieces, nephews. Leave an influence on your family by what you do now. Um, what letter are you writing to your grandchildren by what you do now? What letter are you writing to your great nieces and great nephews by what you do now? Uh, Paul Gilbert put it into a little ditty. Uh, I hesitate because it's a bit twee, but I hear it is. You are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. We read what you write, whether faithful or true. So, what is the gospel according to you? <laughs> Richard spoke of us being the hidden wealth of the community you live in. Isn't that nice? You are the hidden wealth of the community you live in. You've got something really secret, really special that the community needs, which is why God has put you in it. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, you are the light of the world. Exactly. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. It just can't be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. There's, now, what would it be like if the church um, was not infiltrated by evil people? 
are seeking to, to be predators on children. What would it like? What would it be like if the church was not full of people um, who'd been totally captivated by, by ego and, and um, who somehow don't look very much like a, a fisherman from Galilee uh, who had time for ordinary people? What would it, what would it be like if, if the church was a bit like Jesus? Gee, I, I, you know, at, at a time when the church is, is, is in the news for all the wrong reasons, you know, I, I just think of Jesus talking to a prostitute as she comes sliding on her own tears into the kingdom of God because he had time for her. And I want to be part of a church that's like that. You're a light of the world. You, you've got a transactional environment to influence. The Spirit of God is in you. God has got an idea. But, a word of warning, you will not be rewarded very much <laughs> whilst you're on planet Earth. And you may never have a good reputation in the eyes of the world. I was talking to Don Owens a bit about this. Uh, he's uh, one of the guys that we're in apostolic relationship with. We ask him to help keep us honest and accountable uh, as a church. And he preaches here occasionally. And, and, and Don said this. He said, Nick, he says, reputation is what you have before God. Character. Sorry, sorry. Reputation is what you have before the world. Got this right. Reputation is something that you have before the world. Character is something you have before God. Isn't that lovely? Always comes up with these things occasionally. Not bad for an Anglican, is it, really? Yeah. Beautiful man. Uh, the world, let me just tell you, certainly society's opinion leaders may hate you, which, by the way, which is the reason why I have to register to go to this thing in the town hall, because <laughs> chances are there's going to be a bit of a scrum outside. Um, placards and things. I'm quite sure, quite sure what I think about that. Part of me doesn't want to stimulate that, cause that. Part of me wants to say that actually Christians are not called to meet in town halls primarily. It could, could, could still be important, so you know, go if you feel that's right. And it could well be right, particularly if there's, there's any doubts that you have about what, what the reality of the situation is. You might actually hear some good facts. But wh what the church is called to do is to, is to, is to be so amazing in the quality of our love for each other and for others, so amazing in the grace we show, uh, so extraordinary, grounded in knowing who we are and where we're going, that the world says, I want what you've got. I want what you've got. So my challenge is to be that. Is to be that. The opinion leaders in the media will not necessarily like you very much. Um, and Paul, writing to the young church in Rome, understood this and he said, you know, do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
and then you'll be able to approve what God's will is. Which is quite a lovely promise, isn't it? So Paul is saying, don't be conformed. Allow yourself to be transformed. That's a whole new adventure. And by the way, if you do that, God draws near and, and reveals his purposes to you. So enjoy that. I think that's way cool, don't you? Yes, Nick. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> and the trick is to make sure that we influence the world and we don't allow the world to influence us. Jesus touched the sick. When Jesus touched the sick, he did not become sick, contaminated by them. He healed them. <laughs> so, gang, your job is to, is to heal the world. We're called to be the aroma of Christ, which is, which is extraordinary, isn't it? Isn't it fabulous being in the company of someone who's just a beautiful, spiritual, grounded person? And you kind of, I kind of have the aroma of Christ and they also glow a bit and you know, you think, my goodness. <laughs> we met a few of those people in the last, last week. Uh, an incredible um, guys from Turkestan, Turkestan? Kyrgyzstan, Kyrgyzstan. Kyrgyzstan. We get the stars muddled up. There's plenty of them. And it's 90% Muslim in that country. And he just stood up and through interpreter says, oh, the church is doing very well. It's growing. It's sort of um, east of the Caspian Sea, a bit. How's your geography, girls? How's your geography, men? <laughs> Show off. Mm. And he said, the church is doing really well. Well, tell us more about that. Oh, he says, well, we're not allowed to print any literature. We're actually not allowed to meet together. Uh, we're not allowed to convert anyone to Christianity. And we're not allowed to sing. We're not allowed to meet in groups in people's houses. The church is doing very well. What? Yeah. Somehow or other, there's 139 churches and they said, occasion we get caught and we get locked up in prison and our property gets taken. And I thought, gee, do you know that's exactly what was happening in the first and second century? The, the, the Romans really loved the idea of persecuting Christians because not only did it provide decent sports spe spectacles, but they confiscated all their property. And that was the usual thing, that you just, you just lost everything you owned. I thought, gee, that sounds really New Testament-ish. That's happening in Kyrgyzstan. I get that right. And, and as this guy was talking, he just glowed. There's just this grace and this gentleness about it. There's something that happens about the persecuted church that you know it's a real deal. And, um, and so as, as the Christian church comes under a certain amount of persecution, in, in this country. Um, there's always an upside, isn't there? Uh, that'll sort out the church. Won't become a cool place to hide if you want to do terrible things to children anymore. Uh, but don't doubt for a moment that the world needs your ministry. The signs are that the Christian-based civilization is decaying fast in the West 
my slightly eccentric, actually I'll, I'll revise that, my very eccentric philosopher friend, Leonard Long, whom I've, I've quoted to you before, he actually wrote this, quite interesting, I'll read it to you. He's talking about um, the French-American historian Jacques Martin Bazun. How's that for a name? Mr. Bazun. Bazun said that the first sign of decay of a civilization for a historian is when artists stop supporting the dominant paradigm. In other words, when, when artists poke fun at the institutions of, and, and, and just don't support the institutions of their civilization anymore. There are signs of this with the nihilism of the late 19th century, uh, along with uh, Nietzsche's death of God. And then came October the 22nd, 1917, which of course was in the middle of the First World War, or actually towards the end of the First World War, when a group of artists met in the Swiss Alps and surveyed the slaughter on the Western Front, now in its fourth year. They saw that reason, science, technology, and progress had brought this on. And that, um, and that reason, science, technology, and progress could not stop it. So they opened a German-French dictionary at random and stabbed a word. Dada. And they became the Dadists. Dadists. Dadadists. Dadists. You try and say that. It sounds like a rock song, doesn't it? Da 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 da. Anyway. And the artist had rejected reason or any pretense at rationality and had opted for chance chaos. And that this has been evident in the arts ever since. Interesting comment, isn't it? Probably a slight oversimplification, but I think he makes a good point. And the rock singer Billy Joel knew this, and he sang in his album River of Dreams. He sings, This is our moment here at the crossroads of time. We hope our children carry our dreams down the line. They are our vintage. What kind of life will they live? And he finishes it with this line, is this a curse or a blessing we give? And so God has an intention. And that intention has never changed. And that intention is to have a loving relationship with the people he created. And you are therefore called to be a pastor to those you move amongst each day. When people ask who the minister is at Rivergate Christian Community, I say oh, around about 90 people, actually. That's who the minister is. Oh, I, I, get, I get to coordinate some of that. But I'm not the minister. I've got, I got a team. I, I, I'm, I'm part of a team minister we are called to be pastor to be a pastor to those we live amongst each day so please understand uh, it's not as if um, our church is God's gift to this city that is not so it is the people of God the body of Christ that is the gift to the city um, and that means every Christian in this place is God's answer to the challenges of our time and in our city.
And so uh, my plea really is this. Will you, in the best sense, father the future? Will you father the next generation? Will you allow the, the Spirit of God in you to work out in ministry to others in this time. Christianity is never a private faith. It's never just a philosophy you hang your hat on to help you get through life. I mean, that's just the most pathetic and terrible description. Reducing Christianity to a walking stick. No, it's, 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 it's transformatory. And you are the answer to the questions the world is asking today. It doesn't make you superior. It just makes you amazed that God should use a bit busted, broken, ordinary clay pot, as the Apostle Paul calls us. <laughs> a busted, broken, ordinary, common clay pot to show the glory of God. And that... <laughs> that you do with deep humility. So my dear friends, uh, you who have prayed for me and cheered me on <laughs> in sickness, particularly through this year, you who have stood by me, you who are reaching the future and just wondering what God is going to do for the future of Rivergate, and I'm very excited about that. Um, God is calling you to Father the next generation. Fathering can't happen en masse. It happens individually. Fathering is not teaching people to do but to be and fathering has at its heart relationship. So will you, will you share the truth of God and the love of God with those in your environment? Because you are the hope of the world. Simple got the Holy Spirit within you. Let's pray. Father, we want to declare our love for you. <laughs> we stand amazed that you should um, choose us, ordinary, weak, failing, fallible people, to carry your glory. And we just feel the honor of that, the humility of that. And we say, Lord, without your Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. And we freely, <laughs> we freely admit that. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in our lives. And we ask that we would be fruitful in showing and giving God glory by what we do, what we say. May we carry your name carefully and with honour every moment of the day. So commission us, Lord, to be transforming agents in our transactional environment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's it. <laughs>